0: Okay, we are continuing in Revelation. We're down to chapter 2, verse 8. Let's read the verse. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write this. The first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this. I'm going to tell you something he's saying. As we said, all seven churches were in what is called Turkey today. A Muslim country, isn't that interesting? So Smyrna was one of those. Christ addressed it as the first and the last. He was and is the Word of God, which is God himself. Let's briefly turn to John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And now Jesus in Revelation, when he returns, he'll have the word of God written on his thigh. So at times it's hard to understand when he's speaking of himself or of the Father or of the Spirit. But they are one in unity. And what we see, he was in the beginning with God, or he always existed. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. So he's telling us that Christ was, before he came to earth, he was the creator. He said before he left the earth, remember he prayed, and he said, Father, restore to me the glory which I had with you before the world was. When he emptied himself of the power of God he had, he limited himself. He took on humanity, and by doing that, at the time, he didn't know certain facts like God knows everything. He didn't even know when he was going to return. He said even the Son of Man doesn't know this. He knows it now. But when when the glory was restored to him, the full Godhead was restored to him. So he informs us that he was dead and he came to life. This is very important for the Christian and for the Church of Samaritan, He wants them to know who he is. He is not only God, he is the Son of God and the Son of Man. And Romans tells us, it says that he was declared, see, after he resurrected from the dead, he was declared or proven to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. The proof was that he was accepted. His sacrifice, he was blameless, harmless, and undefiled. And that is proof that Christ was accepted by the Father and his sacrifice, and he was made the Savior to the world. If he had not been resurrected, our faith would be in vain. We do no purpose to serve the Lord. Even Paul said, if our hope in Christ was only temporarily, That's like the Sadducees believed. They didn't believe in much of an afterlife. The Pharisees, even as corrupt as they were, they did. But see, that's why the Sadducees could rob people and make money and be covetous and do as they pleased. They didn't think judgment and the next life was coming. But Jesus tells us that he is the resurrection. If he didn't resurrect, no one would resurrect. Paul said, and if we had this great hope, that we're going to be resurrected, Paul said, if this is not true, he said, let us eat, drink, and be merry. Why should I suffer all the things for God if there's no resurrection? He was a practical person, and so he wanted us to know. But then he says, be careful and don't let people corrupt your knowledge that there is a resurrection and a judgment. Most false religions try to do away with judgment. See, they pacify people. Most of the professing Christianity does this. Most of the liberals, you never hear them talk of hell and judgment. The scripture does. Jesus, when he taught basically 40 parables, one-fourth of them had to do with hell and judgment. So we need to take his advice, and he will mention hell in the book of Revelation, so he's not forgotten what's going to happen to the wicked, and most of the grown humanity is going to end up there. But the Apostle Paul and the Apostles, they warn of this coming, but they don't make it their theme because God is not interested in just scaring people into the kingdom. That's a benefit and a consequence if you don't serve the Lord. But see, those who are deceived and under power of the devil, they don't want to believe in a judgment, and God sometimes keeps it from them. See, the punishment to the wicked in this life is that God sends lying spirits to them, and he holds the truth. People find this very difficult, but Jesus said, I thank ye, Lord of heaven and earth, Father. He said that you hid these things from the wise and noble and reveal them to the simple. So the Father keeps the truth from people when they resist the truth that's been given to them. People need to understand that. Right before the Antichrist comes, uh, most of the world is in darkness and under religious hypocrisy. He says, because they did not love the truth when they had the truth, and that's what it mean. He said, God shall send them a strong delusion. He will send them evil spirits, he said, and they will believe a lie and be damned. So God takes credit for this. That's part of his kingdom. Those who listen to the spirit, he gives them more. Those who don't and rebel against him, he takes away even the knowledge that they have. So it's dangerous to play with God's grace. It's dangerous to play with God. You will not win in the end. So he was the son of God. He was the son of man. He emptied himself of the Godhead and for a time was limited to humanity. And he wants them to know that he is who he is. He is in unity with the Father and with the Spirit. Notice when it says the Spirit says to the churches, and yet Christ is talking. Other times, Scriptures implies that the Father God at the white throne judgment will judge. Yet the scripture says all judgments are committed to the Son. When it speaks of the throne in heaven, it speaks of a singular, the throne of God and of the Lamb. So their unity is, is complete, something that we don't fully understand. There are not three gods, but there are three personalities, okay? And one does nothing without the other. They work in perfect unity. So he tells them, the church of Smyrna, verse nine, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. The word poverty here means deep poverty. It means you don't know from Hour to hour is where you're going to eat and where you're going to stay. That's what it meant. And their poverty was a punishment. I mean, excuse me, not a punishment. Well, it was a punishment from Rome. In general, God wants us to live well, and Proverbs speaks of this. But God tests his own, and at times, because of their Christianity, they suffer things. And one of the things was the Roman Empire could take their property and their land They could put them in prison, or they could put them at death. And we got to remember, they were, at this time, there was great emperor worship, and the Christian would not worship the emperor. They only recognized God in Christ as the true God. And Rome did not like this. So at various times, they created persecutions, and they had to flee or hide because there wasn't many places to go in the Roman world. So... That was the consequence, and God lets his own be tested. But he says, you are rich. He answers them, you are rich. I know your deeds. I've seen your tribulation and poverty or deep poverty. He knows when they eat and where they would stay, and he would provide for them. But sometimes the suffering supersedes. In general, the scripture says you will not find the righteous begging bread. In general, it says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord will deliberate people. Well, sometimes he lets them die and they become a martyr for him. They can be starved to death. See, so we see that there is an exception when God is letting this person stand for him and pay the price. So always in each generation it was those who stood for the Lord. So he knew their works of tribulation and poverty. He knew their blasphemy from other people. See, the Romans and everybody else thought they were a terrible people. See, because they worshiped a multitude of gods and the Christian rejected that. Actually, if they asked them, Paul said that they worshipped demons unaware. Well, you can imagine telling them this. They wouldn't like this at all. And so they felt they should be persecuted. It was considered treason and disloyalty not to worship the emperor and not to pray for him. So that's what situation they were in. So the people as a whole, even though they lived a good moral lives, they began to hate the Christian because the Christian basically was calling them an idolatrous. And this was true. They were not worshipping the Father. They were worshipping demons unaware. Okay, we look at Romans chapter 2, 28. While we're listening or reading, this is why. Because some, even the heretic Jews, the Judaizers, sometimes they got along with Rome. They mixed with them and they did what was necessary. What we say is they compromised the truth at times. And Jesus says that they said they are true Jews or Jews, but he said they're not, but are of the synagogue of the devil. Okay, this is interesting. So Paul says in verse 28, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. They based so much on being circumcised. If you weren't circumcised, you would not declared a Jew if you was a male. That was entering the covenant. And so they based a lot on being circumcised. Even the Pharisees, in all their wickedness, they thought they were still okay as long as they were circumcised as a child or if they converted to Judaism. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the spirit, the heart, and not in letter, whose praise is not from men but from God. So most of the Jews in many generations were rejected. He said only a remnant of Jews were saved. They went through many of these forms, but the Lord, when they were debating Jesus, the Pharisees, they quoted the Father to Jesus, and Jesus said, your father is the devil. So he implied that with synagogues and temples that they were worshiping the devil, And they didn't know it. See, they were under a delusion. But just because they were circumcised and tried to keep some of the law did not make them a true Jew. A Christian is called a spiritual Jew. We are the spiritual Israel. So he makes it known that the heretics, the Judaizers, and other Jews were persecuting them, and yet they weren't in relationship with the Father. They thought they were. They thought Jehovah was their father. He wasn't. Their father was the devil. They were under deceptions, and they encouraged the Romans to persecute the Christians. Finally, they labeled the Christians. At first, Christians were just considered a sect of Judaism, an offshoot. And then the Jews eventually got to the place, they got tired of it, and they wouldn't have nothing to do with them. They persecuted themselves, and if they could, they got the Romans to do their job for it. Now, remember in the Roman world, at this time, there was about 70 million people, which I was surprised, but about 8% of them were Jews throughout the empire. It was a large number, and that's about 4 or 5 million, so... We think of minorities in the U.S., only about 12% of the people are Negroes, are black. So you just think half of that would be about 20 million in the U.S. So it was quite a number were Jews. And it's believed, and I've read from historians that were not Christians, they give the facts of the locality, but at John's time, it was believed there was only a couple of hundred thousand Christians in the Roman Empire. And we know that probably many of them were not true and had turned away. If you read the book of Revelation, you can see they were already involved in sin. So that many did not come to the Lord. Many believed in the apostles when they left Jerusalem before Titus destroyed it. The highest estimates are about 25,000 Christians left the city, and it was almost a million people because this was a festival time, and a lot of people had also fled to Jerusalem for protection from the Romans. A good half of these two-thirds was believed killed, and a great multitude of them were set into slavery, and the others had to flee. So the Christian was told during the siege they had problems up in Syria and had to leave the siege so they, anybody could leave and come there. So for two months, this was, was going on three months. And the Lord, through his own prophets, told the apostles and those who were left, the two church to leave, to leave the area. So they were not in Jerusalem when it was destroyed. God saved them or spared them. But if they were found out, that they were Jewish in the Roman world, considered the Christian a Jew, they would have been punished. They would have been sent into slavery or to another country. So you can see what kind of persecution there was. Christians, like we say at the most, were about 200,000 or more out of 70 million people. So you talk about Jesus said, few there be that will be saved. It's a narrow way, and every generation will find this out. When Peter asked him, would many be saved? Jesus answered him, the way is very narrow, and few there be that find it. And also in the end time that we're starting to live in, he said it would be as the days of Noah and Lot. Well, only they themselves were considered righteous. Their families got in because of them. So it's a bad state. See, because God's going to send the strong delusion and the multitude are going to accept the Antichrist. And we see the working of this now. The city on the hilltop is about gone. They're Christians, individuals, but very few churches that have a lampstand. Some of them did years ago. Their parents and grandparents served the Lord. But then their children became more and more like the world. They kept the system going, but they'd lost, or they never had their first love. And some lost their first love. And so they keep the system going. They worship God. They say, Lord, Lord, to be an of them. And yet Jesus will deny them and say, I never knew you. So we can see that we can discern these times if we study scripture and if we obey the Lord, We will not be fooled by these things. So they were false Jews, as far as they weren't Jews in their heart. They were heretics and Judaizers that claimed to be of God, and they were persecuting the Christian also. And Jesus said their father was the devil. Okay? Verse 10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is to cast Some of you enter prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Okay, this is a very hard scripture. Well, let's go back a little. I thought I was somewhere else. Tribulation is a proof. I want to go back to that. He said, I know your tribulation, poverty. As Paul said, through much tribulation we enter heaven, or the kingdom. As a whole, the world hates the true Christian. So the people who claim to be Christians and get along with everybody, and everybody in the world likes them, Jesus said something interesting. He said, be careful when everyone speaks well of you. He said, they did the same to the false prophets. A true Christian lives a moral Right, upright life. And the people of the world don't like it. They like a live and let live. Without saying anything, the Christian makes them uncomfortable. His holiness. And so they have to either conform or attack the person. So this is what happens. The world, Jesus said they hated me and they're going to hate you. So like I say, if somebody likes you, you need to examine your lifestyle. The wicked live for themselves. The righteous live for Christ, okay? Let's go to John 15, verse 18 and 19. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. This is a conflict with people. They don't want to believe this. They think, well, because they live a Christian life, everybody will like them. Well, actually, you should get more persecution and less true friends, and you're not supposed to be mingling with the unrighteous, except under necessity to work with them or to live in the world, but you can't have fellowship with them. You can't have close amnesty. Well, they don't teach that today. I see signs on the churches, everyone's welcome. It don't matter how you live and who you are, you're welcome. Well, they're a false church. See, the early church did not permit this. If you didn't live upright and morally for the Lord, they put you out of the church. They refused to give you communion. they let you know you were not welcome if you did not repent. Well, to do that makes enemies and makes people hate you because they take it personally, okay? So we need to understand that, that he knows that all Christians are gonna get persecution at times. Scripture says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord will deliver them out of all. We are pilgrims in a foreign world. As a whole, the devil runs a lot of government, religion, and many things. He's the God of this world. Even though the Father overrides him and the nations when he chooses, he lets the devil run the show when it comes to humanity a lot. And so he tells the Christian, but you're not of this. You're in a different kingdom. You're in a different world. Now, Jesus called the Christians of Smyrna, you're rich. Well, this surely goes against the prosperity doctrine, doesn't it? It surely goes against Laodicea. They were rich spiritually, but they were in deep poverty. We will find later the church of Laodicea was like the church today, making money. They thought that God wanted everybody to be healthy and wealthy and rich, and the angels were going to serve them. They thought they were going to get their heaven down here. It's not true. So a lot of this prosperity of faith is false. It's nothing more but materialism and covetousness, which will lead people to hell, okay? So God chose them. The scripture warned the Corinthians, the ones that were turned over and they got sick and died. We find rare case of this, but who was it? It was the rich Corinthians who sort of looked down on a true Christian that didn't have anything. Remember 20% or so of the Christians were slaves. And when they would join with the love feast, they couldn't bring anything, some of them. Some of them didn't have nothing to share. And the rich would bring elaborate food, and they would sit by themselves and tell the poor to go over there. Can you see the absurdness, of why God killed them? The only time we see that God started killing them openly, he despised them for this. He said, you were judged that... You will not be condemned with the world. His point of punishing them with disease was that they would repent. If they repented, at least they would be saved. Some would die, some would not. If they did not repent, they were lost. That's the purpose of chastisement. In Hebrews, it says it's the proof that you're not a bastard. And it says the chastisement is grievous, but it produces something. See, when God chases a person, he either conforms or he rebels, and that is God's intention. And so, in Hebrews, it says the chasing of the Lord, what does it lead to? Holiness. Holiness is the opposite of sinning. See, it causes them to see the plight they're in and the disapproval by God, and they repent. And they stop their sinning, and they're walking in holiness. And then the Scripture adds, just so you'll understand, he said, for without holiness, no man will see the Lord. So a lot of these once saved, always saved people think they have a license to sin. Paul had an answer for them in three epistles. He said, if you practice any of these sins, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So much for their theology. So much for them perverting Scripture and lying So if you're not living uprightly as a Christian, you will not make it to heaven. The blood will not cover. Even Hebrews says, he that sins willfully after knowledge of the truth hath no more sacrifice for sin. A person has to repent. That's why we have a high priest. That's why the Christian, if he fails or sins, he has to deal with things. If he doesn't deal immediately, God will punish him. And then he'll either rebel or repent, and that is God's intention. so this so called faith and prosperity movement is like laodicea we We live in that age of Sardis and Laodicea Sardis, we will see later it was popular uh, Christianity is today with the mega churches, and they have a name he said, "It's your life. Oh look at us. We have thousands of people, and all the people gathered and Jesus said "But." You're dead. So he tells them that most Christians are false Christians as far as he's concerned. But back to the Christian being poor, the Christians of Smyrna, their poverty was because of their Christianity, not because they were lazy. Jesus said, the poor you'll have with you always. He meant mankind. But when the Christian becomes poor because of persecution, he's honored by God. God himself, through Paul said, didn't you know that God has chosen the poor of this world, but they're rich in faith. He was saying, look at your calling. There aren't many rich people saved. There's not many noble because they have to pay a price. So he was saying that the main people that the Lord chooses is the poor and the ordinary and those that don't trust in their riches. That was the purpose. So being poor in itself could be a compliment from God. On the other hand, some people are poor because they're lazy, because they don't know how to spend their money. They don't know what to do with it. That's why Jesus said to the poor, hey, you have with you always. But in the early church, the poor, mainly Christians, were supported by the church and helped during times. People brought money to the apostles and the apostles appointed people to distribute it to those who were in need. It was mainly, people don't understand this, it was mainly Christians. See, James said, do good to all men, especially to the household of God. So when the famine came, they took care of their own if they could. They took care of the worldly people if they had leftovers. So we got to understand this. They were not equal. To the family of God, and we have no responsibility to them that bypasses the Christian. I've seen many people, they think they got someone saved, they leave them alone, and they go to the next. They don't worry about that person because he's already saved. Once saved, always saved. They're fools. They don't treat them right. And so these people, if they ever got saved, they get lost because nobody feeds and teaches them, or they don't pursue the Lord themselves. They're responsible, but the teacher is still held accountable for not doing his job. Okay, So the Lord has chosen the poor of this world and he said, but you're rich in faith. So they were willing like the Hebrews. They were spoiled of their goods. Part of the persecution was the land and their goods were taken from them. And he complimented the Hebrews that you once endured this with joy. Now you're beginning to waver, see? Now you're beginning, that's why the book of Hebrews was was written. They wanted to go back to Judaism, some of them. They thought their life would be easier. And the basis of the book of Hebrews or the letter was, if you go back, you have to trample on Christ to do it. So they were warned and told, there's nothing to go back to anyway. That system has been abolished, okay? Furthermore, the apostle never commends Christians having riches. About seven times the epistles talks plainly, and Paul several times. He just says, if you are rich, he's speaking to the Christian, then be rich in good works. And he implied your salvation might have something to do. He said, because you're laying up a good foundation for your salvation. So, so much for people who say you're saved by faith alone and not justified. No, there is spiritual works and spiritual obedience and spiritual fruit or your faith, as James says, is dead faith. It doesn't produce anything, okay? But like I say, he doesn't have anything against the rich or the rich Christian. But he says those who would be rich fall into many hurtful lusts that drown men in destruction. He never once compliments people being rich Christians. He just simply says, if you find yourself in that case, that more responsibility is placed upon you, more accountability. So people, the prosperity thing, that they want to be rich and they can enjoy luxury and fine things. This was not the context of the Christian. So you would be rich and good work. And those who had the ministry of giving, God caused them to have monies and things come through them. And it was not for themselves, basically. It was for others. So if a person claims to be a Christian and lives in luxury and has five homes and four cars, I can tell you he's not a Christian. See? He thinks by giving the Lord 10%, he can do what he wants with the 90%. Well, the Lord still speaks of accountability, that you are a servant, and you will answer to the Lord for what you do with your goods. In general, the Christian can use goods for everyday living and other things. God isn't that exacting, but he warns You can use things with their moderation. Nothing wrong with having a home. Nothing wrong with having a car. Nothing wrong with being sufficient in this world. But the Lord is saying, don't forget the poor Christian. Don't forget the ministry to others. And why? Because the Christian that's a true Christian is not a selfish person. Prosperity people are selfish people. They want to buy the Lord off. And then they think they're okay and ease their conscience. Well, if you're worth a lot of money and you give a lot of money, he expects that. During Jesus' time in the temple, the Pharisees had servants go and blow a horn to let people come and see them. their to give money. They had these chests, 12 chests set up, and each one was for various things. And the priests uh, would receive the gifts or they would have their servants put the money in and everybody go, oh, isn't that wonderful? And a little woman went and wasn't noticed by anybody and she put the equivalent of a couple of pennies in. And Jesus said she gave more than all of them did. See, the Lord remembered, implying that all the riches the Pharisee gave didn't count for much. See, because their motive and their intent was evil. God looks at the heart He expects more from those who have more than are Christians. He doesn't expect from people to give a lot of money or anything that don't have money to give. A lot of Christians live from week to week, and that's fine. But like I've said, if you have money to take vacations and buy luxurious items, and you don't support the Lord, and you don't give to God's ministry, you need to question yourself and where you stand with the Lord. Okay? So this is, this prosperity or this poverty is to be commended because it was because of their Christianity that this happened. Verse 10, as we read, we'll read again. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He's implying that some of them are not only going to be put in prison, but some will be put to death. During this time, one of the famous martyrs, they don't know much about his personal life. They believe he was a leader or a bishop of the Church of Samaria. He was put to death as an example to other Christians to worship the emperor, but he would not worship the emperor, okay? So it appears the empire and the Roman Empire had cracked down on Christians because they only honored Christ and God and would not count the emperor as being a divine person. So they would not worship him. Certain parts of the Turkey and the seven churches were persecuted more than others. Some got away with it better than others. It depended on the local magistrates and governors, and some were stricter and some were not, according to the rules and information they got from Rome. The emperor at this time, I think his name was Diocletian. So that's close, but anyway, he really hated Christians. Some think that the 10 days in Smyrna were 10 years, it may be, for we can trace the persecution during this time lasted about 10 years overall. 10 often is used like the number 7 as a complete number. It may have been symbolic that you will suffer persecution, you will be tested to a certain amount of time, and then it will, the overall great testing will end. So Christians have tribulation in this world that are not always persecuted outwardly or physically. Jesus said, men, come a time, they'll separate from you and have nothing to do with you and count your name as evil. We live in a society that basically can't persecute a person, but they can separate from you. They can consider you narrow-minded, and many of the churches would not let the two Christians in today. It would make them too uncomfortable. If Paul and Jesus disguised themselves, they would most likely throw them out of church. So that's the period that we live in. Let's take a break.